carry out our mission in life as well. And so today is uh, action step number one, and that's called connect. Connect, action step number one. Now, today I, I'm going to say something that may, uh, I don't think it'll offend you. Hopefully it won't, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <clears throat> religious people are not my favorite people. Can I say that as a pastor, that religious people aren't my favorite people? Um, let, me, let me define that for a moment first, okay? Uh, religious people I define as, I don't mean people who are, believe in God or Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about religious people are people who think that they actually belong in God's fa- family because they follow God's rules better than other people. Um, you know, you follow me? You, know, you understand what I mean by that? Uh, it's kind of people that so often that what they do is they go around and they beat people over the head with the Bible, maybe not literally, but figuratively, and they do that in so many ways because they think that they're right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, and pre- preparing for this message, I got kind of heard a, a really interesting, I thought this was uh, people in the first service liked it, uh, a recording of a guy actually with a cell phone conversation of a guy in Texas who witnesses an accident between um, four, uh, let's call them religious ladies, and another guy, and uh, it kind of makes the point, so let's, let's just watch this. The words will be on the screen so you can understand if you can't understand the audio recording, so just watch this. <clears throat> Two questions. Number one, how was he that close to actually tell what version of the scripture is? And then the next question was, what was the NVI version? I actually found that there is a version called that. It's Spanish. And so and it makes sense in Texas, by the way. And so, uh, so that was the deal. Uh, 
I don't know how many of you have been symbolically beaten over the head with a Bible, uh, maybe not literally, but symbolically by somebody. Um, uh, do you know the person? Are they, are they sitting around? Don't look at them. Uh, somebody who just kind of like, you know, just kind of beat you up. Uh, do you have a mental image of that person? Now, if you poll the average person in our world today, so often the sad news is that's exactly how often they see people in the church. It's people who are Bible thumpers or people who um, are judgmental. And it's not altogether fair, I will say that, but that's how they feel so often. As, as we were sharing last week, I was talking about the whole thing about how often we turn off people. We, it was part of last week, so if you, you didn't hear last week, weren't here, you want to go back and kind of get the overview of what this series is all about, you can go to greatoakcc.org and, and watch the po- or listen to the podcast. Um, but I was talking about how often we do really dumb things that, that really just push us back, people away from us, like a few years ago when Katy Perry came on the scene. Now, I'm not a big Katy Perry fan, okay? But when Katy Perry came on the scene, I don't know if you know her background, by the way. She grew up in a fundamental Christian home. Uh, but the thing is, it pushed her away from God instead of toward God. And, uh, but, but when she first came on the scene, she had this one song that ha- it was about a lesbian experience. You know, I kissed a girl and I liked it. And it was a, a pastor in Ohio who actually put a sign, and I showed the picture of the sign last week on the screen that said, I kissed a girl and I liked it and I went to hell. And that was on the main road going through the state of Ohio. And the question was, is, did that draw people to Christ? And I don't think the, the answer is no. That doesn't draw people to Christ as all. But that's how so often people see many Christians. And the reason I hate that attitude, and I'll say I don't, I don't dislike it, I hate that attitude, is because it accomplishes only the opposite of what Jesus came for. Um, it's the opposite of the purpose of the church. Uh, removing ourselves from the world was never the goal. It, it's not the opposite of the goal. Jesus says we're, God says we're to be in the world but not of the world. Uh, and it was the climate so, ma- so many of us were raised in. I was raised in a climate where, you know, everything's, uh, we're right, you're wrong. Uh, I don't know if you raised in that climate as well. Uh, so often what we did, did by that climate was we would huddle in our church groups and our youth groups and our uh, groups, whatever. Uh, and then during that era when I was growing up, we, we wanted to huddle together and stay away from the world, remove ourselves from the world. So we started our own schools. We start one point and during my teenage and college years, people were going around. I shared this last week. They were going around and, and, uh, <laughs> and they were telling us, you know, not only do not listen to Christian, uh, to non-Christian music, but matter of fact, so what's so evil, so you need to do what you need to do is go burn your albums, you know. And so there was that whole deal. Some of you grew up in that era. You, you remember that as well. And I was sharing with you that, you know, the problem with that is it, not only was the, the lyrics bad, but they said some really dumb things about music like, well, if you play your albums, you know what an album is, by the way, right? Some of you don't know what it is. It's this vinyl thing that spins around on a turntable, okay? Uh, you may have seen them where they got to do the, I, I don't know what you call it now, the thing where they make different noises. with. Anyway, but... Uh, but that's the album. Anyway, I, they said that the, the thing was, it was kind of a crazy thing going on. And, and it was funny because um, they would say, you know, if you play certain albums backwards, remember that? That you would get satanic messages. And so I remember one time <clears throat> they said that Hotel California by the Eagles had a satanic message and you played it backwards. So guess what I did? I went home and ripped out my, pulled out my uh, Eagles album and Turn it on and try to play it backwards. I totally messed up a turntable. Try to do it backwards because I didn't realize you couldn't do it with any old turntable. And I never did hear the message. I don't know if you've ever heard it because I don't think there was anything ever there. But the reality is we have that kind of mentality in our, in, in our, in our climate so often. We just pull ourselves away from everything. John Stott, who is a Christian theologian, says he calls it rabbit hole Christianity. 
Rabbit hole Christianity is where we call, you know what a rabbit does. A rabbit hole is a rabbit hole, and they jump out of the rabbit hole, and they run to the next place of safety, and they, don't, they really don't stay around because they know if they get out and stay out and mix themselves up with the real world too much, what happens is they might be in danger. And he says, that's what we often do as Christians in our world today. For some strange reason, we think that we're to, we, we jump out of the church and we run to the next Christian event, but we never intermingle with the world in any real way. But Jesus said that's not our goal. We talked about this last week. Jesus said our goal is to go into all the world. Matter of fact, in Matthew 28, he says we're going to make disciples of all nations. That's one of the primary scriptures that we talk about that gives us our purpose. We are to go. We, the church, we, the people of the church, are to go and make disciples of all nations. He says the goal was to be witnesses, and it says that in Acts 1.8, which is the key verse for this series, uh, you will be my witnesses. It says when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he says that's what we're to do. And, and I, I shared with you also last week, that if you weren't here, that you know, I've always found it interesting because uh, uh, several people have said this, but Rick Warren's one of the ones I heard this from several years ago. He said, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do in heaven. We look forward to heaven, but there's a lot of things you can do in heaven. Hopefully you can, you can sing in heaven, and you can, you know, play music in heaven. I don't know. Maybe some of you all be, be able to sing well in heaven. I don't know, instead of like you do now. And, uh, and, and, you know, and maybe, I hope you can play golf in heaven. I don't know if you can, you know. But it would be like, be like everything will look like Pebble Beach in heaven, you know. And I've always imagined that, you know, part of the deal. But I don't know if that's true. But, you know, the deal is there's a couple of things that, that he said, Rick Warren said, that you cannot do in heaven, that you can only do here on earth. And he said the two things he knows that specifically is this. One is that you can do on, here on earth that you can't do in heaven is sin, right? Because there is no sin in heaven. No sin. So you can't sin in heaven, so you can't do that. Another thing, another thing you can only do here on this earth that you can't do in heaven is what? You, can't, you can only share your faith with somebody else here that you can't do it in heaven. Why? Because there's no non-believers in heaven. And so the, the rhetorical question that he asks is this. So of those two things, sin and share your faith, why do you think Jesus leaves you here and doesn't just take you to heaven right after you become a Christian? Because wouldn't that be a lot easier? Sure solve a lot of problems. But the reality is, so he leaves us here, I think, for, for the right reason. He tells us that constantly in Scripture that our purpose is to be witnesses, to be witnesses, not defense attorneys, not people who have to argue people into the kingdom, simply people who testify and share as a witness does in a, in a court trial who comes in and says what they know. That's what a witness is. And so we, we understand that. Now, we often get really excited. We often get really excited about the idea of sharing our faith with people in far-off countries, right? And we're supposed to as well because it says what? The start, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's, for some strange reason, we get all excited about, you know, thinking about, praying about, and, and I'm glad we're involved. We're in involved in a couple of huge uh, endeavors. One is to plant churches in the Basque region of Spain. Another is in, to plant churches in uh, the, the villages of a group called the Yolanka in West Africa. And we're involved in those endeavors financially, and we've actually had people go over there and, and do those type of things. But the reality is, not all of us can do that. But the thing we don't get excited about too much is the first part, the Jerusalem. The Jerusalem, because it's not quite as sexy to do that somewhere else. And so the, the reality is, though, and we think also, oh, we live in a, we live in a Christian nation. We, well, let me just share something with you about statistics. Recent statistics show that 195 million people in the United States have no religious preference whatsoever. 
If they go to the hospital and they're sick and they fill out all the forms and they have on there, you know, what is your religious preference? In 1950, 15% of the people would have said none. Today, it's 60% of the people that write none when they do that kind of thing. We have become, literally, America has become, based on which statistics you use, the third or fourth largest mission field in the world if you take the people who are non-religious and group them together as as a people group. And you're going like, well, you know, so it makes sense then that we need to make some effort in, in trying to reach the people right around us as well. And how did that happen? What are we, who are we supposed to be following? What are we supposed to be doing? You know, the, the reality is, so many people, all they've done is they've met Christians who have beat them up with, with the Bible. Or they've met Christians who basically are judgmental. Or Christians just simply don't encounter them at all. We don't encounter them at all. And so the reality is, Jesus constantly... Uh, had that problem. And the problem was is that he was constantly, in a real sense, uh, dealing with an attitude that was judgmental in regard to the world. And he, but the, the problem was, too, that Jesus was constantly in trouble, if you look at Scripture, with people who were religious people because he would go to parties with people like Katy Perry and the Eagles. He was doing that all the time, and, and we see that in Scripture. Uh, because what happens with religious people is they lose sight of what the purpose of why they are there. They just lose sight of that. And it's easy for any organization to lose church with its, uh, touch with its purpose. I was thinking about this, and I was hesitant to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's kind of like the Cubs. <laughs> the Cubs are so easy to pick on, you know, and they really are. But the other day I was reading an article somewhere, and they were doing about a, the thing, and it was about the Cubs. And they were real proud of the fact that they are in the top one-third in history in the last, like, 15, 20 years of attendance in the major leagues. Do you know that? The Cubs are in the top. uh, Two-thirds of the teams in the major league have worse attendance records than the Cubs do. And then right down the street, of course, this other team called the White Sox that actually nobody cares about, it seems like, at all. And their attendance is like, like a third less than the Cubs. I looked it up. But they actually did something in 2005 that the Cubs hadn't done in a long time. Remember that? They actually won a World Series. And then down the road, St. Louis, we wouldn't talk about them. But the reality is, the reality is, you know, this article was all proud because we have a great... Let me, ask you the, let me ask you something, just easy. What is the purpose of a major league team? To have high attendance records or to win pennants? Make money, yeah, obviously. It doesn't really matter. So, because we're proud of that. You know, I mean, that's not what we know is the reality. So that's the deal. See, it's easy for churches to fall into that habit of, of doing the same things and forgetting what we do. Because, you know, when we have our buildings full, we, and we're here, it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that God has placed us here for one purpose. And that purpose is to be a witness to our community, starting uh, to our world, starting with our Jerusalem. And we'll be talking about today and how we can do that. And, and going on. And I think we, we, we don't have a real negative mindset in that at Great Oaks. I think we're different in a lot of churches because constantly, I thought about the last two or three weeks, how many community groups have used our property for multitudes of things? Because, you know, we've had a, a cross-country meet. Our, our property is actually the, on our property is actually the cross-country course for Germantown Hills Middle School. Uh, you know, when you, you'll come by here Tuesdays and see crazy, you know, a bunch of kids running around here. They practice on our course. Uh, the soccer fields down here are actually on our property, and we built them for the community. Not because we needed, you know, churches doesn't need soccer fields, but we built them for that purpose. But, because it, but it reminded me of the contrast 
that I heard uh, a, few, a few years ago uh, of a church up in, I think it was in Chicagoland area. And uh, this church was a small church in a dying community, and it was really a struggling, a struggling church. And so they decided they were going to do something for the young people in their church. And so what they did is they had this old parking lot, and they put some basketball goals up. You know, and the kids in the neighborhood were all excited about that as well. And, and they thought, how cool, basketball goals. The only problem was is they decided they were only for their kids. And so the rest of the time when their kids weren't using them, they would put the club on the basketball goal, you know, across the top. You know what a club is, the thing you put on your steering wheel to lock it in place? And so you couldn't possibly use it because it was locked down. They're basketball goals, you know? And I'm going like, wow, did we miss the point? Did we miss the point there? So today's uh, uh, first point is this. Jesus had to combat this, this mentality all the time. We're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures, but particularly in, in the Matthew in a few moments. But right now, let me just share this one. This shows the mentality he was dealing with. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, we're going to hear a lot about them today, were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious people that I don't like, and, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the question is, was that true? Of course it was true. I mean, how else could he fulfill his mission, which is to seek and to save the lost, if he never connects with them? How could he do that? So the first action step, if we're to carry out our mission, which is to be on mission, the same mission that God's on, which is seek and save the lost, the first action step today of five we're going to talk about, and these are not all like I'll take number one and number three. These are all together, by the way, so hang in the whole thing. Uh, number one is to connect. We must connect with people who are far from God. We must connect with people who are tax collectors and sinners if we're going to make an impact in their life. And, and that's one of the things we have to understand. So take, uh, turn your, uh, in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9. Hold your, uh, uh, wherever, whatever you do, electronic Bible or, or, you know, whatever you're using. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But I want to talk about this. Let me give you a little, little, uh, background. Matthew chapter 9. What was the book? What was the, the gospel? Who, who wrote the gospel of Matthew? Matthew, thank you. It was a trick question. Okay. Uh, now, Matthew, Matthew had an interesting background. Remember what we just read about the Pharisees, who they had a problem with? Tax collectors and sinners, okay? Matthew was a tax collector. And in, in the story in chapter, chapter 9 of Matthew, um, what it talks about, it says, is, you know, Matthew was this tax collector. Now, it says he came, they came up on this tax booth, it's what it talks about. And, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, oh, what's a tax booth? We don't have those in our culture. So it reminds me, if you need to get a picture in your mind, you're a visual learner, uh, this is the visual Right now, remember the movie Monty Python and Search for the Holy Grail? And, the, and he comes upon Monty Python, comes upon the, uh, the guy, the little guy at the bridge, and he says, if three questions only, you know, you've got to answer these three. I don't know how he said it, I can't remember. But, you know, you've got to cross the bridge. It's kind of like that, okay? So that's the image. But I'm going like, what would make them, what would make them want to, what would make them want to, you know, do this? Well, the problem was, see, the, why would people pay taxes to this guy? Because the Roman government backed them up. What a tax collector was, was usually, in the Jewish culture, was a Jewish person who was a traitor to their own people, who was collecting taxes for the oppressor, the Roman government. But not only were they doing that, but they were lined their own pockets by collecting more than the Roman government demanded, so most of the tax collectors were wealthy. That was kind of the deal. So you can imagine the hatred level 
that was there between the regular, the Jewish people and the tax collectors because they saw them as swindlers, people who ripped off their own people, and, and worst of all, they worked for the enemy. And so because of that, they were outcast from the synagogue. They had no, uh, you know, they had none of those things. So um, that was what was going on. Because in that culture, once again, the thing is, is that, you know, it was, it was based upon, and we have it in our day today as well, um, people kind of define who can be saved and who can't be saved by the level of their sin. You know, what I, I didn't use this term last week. I had it in my notes, and I realized I never used it. Uh, uh, it's, it they were gracist. They were gracist. Not racist, they were gracist, okay? Let me give you a definition. And, and, and their problem was gracism. Gracism is this. Uh, gracism says, I deserve to be with the Father, but you don't because of your sin. It's basically, it, gracism is not about the color of your skin. It's about the color of your sin. It's what it is. And so in Luke, in, in Luke 18, uh, and I told you just to hold Matthew 9. We'll go back to that in a minute. In Luke 18, it shows the extreme. Luke 18, verses 10 through 13, it says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other what? A tax collector. The two extremes on the gracism scale. Okay? Pharisee at the top, tax collector at the bottom. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, basically for himself, which is always a clue. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this, and he points over there, I even like this tax collector. I'm glad I'm not like that. Because, this is the reason... And thank you, God, for that, by the way. We really know you'd have anything to do with it. Because he says, the reason I'm, I'm thankful is because I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He was a gracist. He was a person who thought because of his works, because of what he did, that he was more deserving of God's grace than anybody else. Now, the reality is in Scripture is this. None of us are deserving. None of us are deserving. And, but the problem is, is we have that problem. The Pharisees at the top of the scale attack collector at the bottom. So we come to Matthew chapter 9 beginning with verse 9, and so we see this attitude going on, and we also see this, this dichotomy, this, this, this scale of people who are close to God or, or easier, they, God, they deserve God's grace versus those who don't deserve God's grace, and that's the setting for this passage in, in Matthew chapter 9. It says this, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, think for a minute. Use, use your imagination sometimes when you're reading Scripture. Ask yourself this question. This is what I ask myself. And he was with his disciples. Jesus was going along with his disciples. I wonder what the disciples were thinking. Remember, these are the guys who think that tax collectors are on the bottom of the graces scale. They don't deserve God. And, and, and the other thing is, they're hated. They're swindlers. They're traitors. Everything is going on. And when, when they come up on this tax booth, you know what they were probably thinking? What they were probably thinking, the disciples probably thought, well, Jesus, just beat him with your Bible. He deserves it. You know, tell him, repent, sinner. I mean, that's what we like to do, because he deserves it. But not Jesus didn't say that. What did Jesus say? He said, follow me. And then it dawns on the disciples. You know, all of a sudden they're going like, follow me. And he says he followed him. You know what? They're going like, wait a minute. That means he's coming with us. I got to hang out with this, this, this sinner, this guy that, you know, probably likes the Eagles. Katy Perry and backmasking records, you know. He probably has all these issues. In his, he's going to hang out with us. 
Now, there's no record of that, but I just made that up. But that's, I'm just imagining what it was like for these disciples who grew up in this culture, in this culture, and they, they, were not, they lived with Jesus, but they still had this problem because we saw it constantly. See, they weren't at the top of the scale, if you put a scale up, but they weren't at the top of the scale. But the problem was is they weren't at the bottom either because who, who were most of, the, most of the disciples? Fishermen. They were mostly fishermen. There was one guy kind of near the top of the scale. His name was Luke. He was a doctor. But I kind of made up, a, a based on Scripture, I kind of make up a gracism scale, those deserving God's grace. And this is the mentality they had. See, at the top we have Pharisees and then teachers of the law and doctors and nurses. So Luke was there. You know, when, they, when Luke came in, they were probably going, yeah, it raises our, our street cred. You know, and then fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors. And I added this last one in for my wife. Um, two weeks ago, she was traveling she was supposed to travel on a Friday, if you remember that two, two Fridays ago. And, she was, and I took her to Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington. I drove her up there that morning because I was being a wonderful husband, going to spend some time with my wife, drop her off at the airport, everything's going great. 6 a.m., she's supposed to fly out. At 5.50, though, the guy decides to set fire to the air traffic control center up in, uh, up in Chicago or somewhere out in Joliet, somewhere, I don't know where it was, but it's up there. And so what happens? She calls me three, uh, four hours later and says, "Hun." Uh, you got to come pick me up because we're not going anywhere. But you know where she was going? She was going to go see the grandkids. Do not get between a grandma and her grandkids. Because when I picked her up, she'd have placed this guy, people who said air traffic control centers on fire, at the bottom of the grace scale. My loving, wonderful wife was just like furious. He deserves. And then she went off in a rant and a tirade. You did that, honey. You did it. You know you did. And so she's sitting back there. I thought I'd just add that in. You know, the reality, we have our own scale, but in the Bible, it's kind of the scale. You understand the concept? We all think that certain people deserve more grace than other people based on what they do or what their station in life is. And Jesus didn't believe that way. You know, I mean, the disciples are going like, Matthew? I mean... But Jesus says, follow me and change your life. I mean, I grew up in the, in the culture, you know, where I remember I said this in the last service, and somebody says, where did you learn that? I grew up in a culture where I led to say in the last week was this, you know, as a, as a Christian young man, I said, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go, go with girls who do. You ever heard that? Somebody told me I hadn't heard that before. Well, anyway, if you did, that's, that's new for you. But it's that mentality, you know, it's about what we do. It's about who deserves to be, have the relationship, and Jesus was not, was not inviting him, though, to religion. He was inviting him to a relationship. Then it goes on in the scripture. I love the next part. This is the part I love. It says this. Okay, Matthew, the tax collector, the sinner, just had said yes to Jesus to follow him. And I don't know what the conversation is. The Bible doesn't do like a running narrative of everything, but obviously they were talking about dinner. You know, what do we do next? We're on the road. We need to go somewhere. Matthew lives. And so it says... Uh, while Jesus, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, now think about that a minute. Matt, Matthew hasn't cleaned up his act yet, folks, okay? He'd been, a, he'd, been a, he'd been a follower of Christ for 10 minutes. And so Jesus goes to his house. I'm wondering if Jesus says, I'm hungry, let's eat. He, Matthew says, hey, I got a nice house. I've stole people, money from people all over the place. So I got in this mansion. I got a lot of good food, you know. Come over to my house. And then, then Matthew probably says, by the way, can I invite some of my friends? <laughs> a 
Let me ask you, what kind of friends does sinners and tax collectors have? Sinners and tax collectors. It was the greatest day of Matthew's life. Suddenly he had life, had purpose and meaning. Uh, suddenly he belonged. But like all sinners, the only friends he had were other sinners. So Jesus does what? He goes to a sinner party. And, and I imagine the conversations at Matthew's house when he got, gets there. Because he probably had parties before, but, but it was all other tax collectors. Nobody else would have anything to do with him or people who were dis, disreputable people. And I can imagine, you know, Matthew, when he gets there, he's running around trying to get everything fixed up. He's pulling the pizza rolls out of the oven, you know. He's making sure the beer, beer cooler's stocked, you know, and, and all these kind of things. He's doing all these kind of things. He's probably has this, he probably has a great sound system because he was rich. You know, he probably had a booming, you know, a bass part. You know, he's probably, but he wasn't playing Christian music because he didn't know such a thing existed. You know, he was doing all those things. And Jesus goes there. Because, and it must have been a great party because the rest of the verse says this. It says, many tax collectors, not just a few, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Boy, one of the disciples felt like fish out of water. Probably so. Probably so. You know what? That, that's the Bible's way of saying here that, that, that Jesus attended a naughty people party. That's what he was doing. And then, of course, the religious people, the ones we love in Scripture, say this in verse 11. It says, and when the Pharisees, those religious people, who deserve God's grace more than anybody else, saw this, they asked the disciples, why, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and its sinners? Basically, why is your teacher at a naughty people party? See, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the mission. They had lost focus of their purpose. So Jesus responds to that when he says this in the next verse, in verse 12. He says, on hearing this, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he throws a little dig at them. I love Jesus. Jesus is really straightforward with people. I mean, he does it in a loving way, but he's straightforward. He says this, but go and learn what this means. You know what he's basically saying? You're ignorant. Go and figure it out. That's what he's saying. Then he quotes a prophecy. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He says, up front, my goal is not to make fake holy little people. My goal is to help bring sinners and tax collectors to God, to help them connect with God. See, Jesus spent, if you look at Scripture, Jesus spent a lot of his time doing what? At church? No. He spent a lot of his time hanging out with, with people who were far, the farthest from God. And it talks about it constantly in Scripture. I've already used two or three verses, but in Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about a banquet. It's a picture of God's invitation to the great banquet of Christianity, which means to be in a follower of Christ. And in verse 16 of Luke 14, it says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. Talking about the kingdom of God. But they all began to make excuses. And then a few verses down in verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go, and quickly, uh, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know, don't, he didn't say go bring all the religious people. He said go be the people who need me. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. 
He's simply saying this. He's saying, you know, the ones that, that play games and keep rules, the healthy, they'll miss out. They'll miss out because they miss the point of the mission. But the sick and the Matthews and the people who have no real right to be here, they will get a spot at the table. You will get a spot at the table. I will get a spot at the table because of what God has done for me, not because I deserve it. And that's what we need to share with people. That's what we need to be witnesses of. Not how good we are, but how good God is and what he's done in our life. And so I will say this. I, I would dare say that a part of our mission, that's what we're talking about today, is to find ourselves eating with the Matthews of this world and sh spending time with the Matthews of this world. And see, that's a problem for me, and it's probably a problem for you because when I'm honest about it, because, you know, guess where I work? In a church. And so I work with a lot of what? Holy people. And the problem is so often is we're not always real about what our struggles are. I'm so thankful for my men's group on Saturday mornings. I shared this in the last service. You know, our, our, my men's group on Saturday mornings is a bunch of real guys. We get in there, we share. We, yesterday morning, man, it was great. People sharing their struggles and, 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 and openly being you know, emotional about things. Guys, now this is guys. Now we weren't too emotional because that would be unguy-like. But the, the reality was we didn't act like we had it all together. And that there should be no place in the world where we can be more open with people than in our small group and within the life of the church. And be real because, let me tell you folks, I hate to tell you this, but when I stand up here every Sunday morning, I don't see a bunch of people have it all together. And when you're looking up here, you're not seeing a person that has it all together either. You're seeing a sinner saved by grace. And that is the greatest news you could possibly share with someone else. And that's our mission. That's our purpose. You know, the sad news is this. The stats show that, uh, that by the time a person is a Christian for seven years, they have no real non-Christian friends. We've withdrawn from the world. And so I believe the call to God's mission, the call to connect, the first action point, is that we need to reconnect with people. Yeah, you need to have your small I love my small group. But that's just a place where I get in, I'm, I'm able to be free and share and, and, and really, in a real sense, be encouraged to go out and fight the battle, to be a witness in the real world. See, I think the biggest reason most churches and most Christians tend to shy away from sinners and tax collectors is because they're scary and messy. It is, because they're not like us. We don't know what to say to them. See, but Jesus said, I came for the sick. So churches are supposed to be hospitals. And there's no other way around it. So, step one, connect. I'm going to give you something to do. I don't really believe in just studying Scripture and looking at it and going home and going, oh, it was great. I like the story about the crazy guy in Texas, you know. Let me give you something to do. I want you to do, take the, if you've got, you got an outline, I want you to flip it over on the back side. If you don't, find a piece of paper. If you don't, write it on the back of your hand. That, I, that's a great idea. I didn't do that last service. I thought about that just now. You know, okay, here's what I want you to do. Next slide. I want you to draw that on your, uh, you know, on your outline. You know what that is? That's like a tic-tac-toe grid. You know, go like, I'm not very artistic. This doesn't take art. It's two lines this way and two lines that way, okay? Which forms how many squares? Now, don't get real technical. I mean, little squares. 
I know you can get more than nine, right? Okay, nine, okay. Okay, in the middle of that, in the middle square, what I want you to do is put me. Not me, you. Okay? Not Bill. I, that's on my one. Whatever your name is, you put your name in the middle square. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about one of two things. Now, you may live out in the middle of nowhere and not have any neighbors. So let me give you an option. That will be an option in a minute. But if you live in a place where there's people around you, I want you to write in the names of the people of the other eight people that live the closest around you in your neighborhood. Okay? You're going like, well, I don't know their names. Well, you have a project. Now, if you live out in the middle of nowhere, or maybe that's not, maybe you know everybody, and all of them are Christians, and they're all, you know, all going to heaven and everything. Uh, the other option is, is to, to write in the name of the people that work around you closest at work. That could be another option. Now, you know what you just did? If you complete that, you don't have to complete it right at the moment, but I want you to complete it before the day's over. What you just did, you just described your immediate Jerusalem. And going back to what Scripture says in Acts 1.8, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and he gives you the Holy Spirit, which he promises you when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, what are you to do in your Jerusalem? You're to be witnesses. That doesn't mean you have to argue people into the kingdom. That doesn't mean anything other than just... just but to, to be a witness, you have to connect. And so the first step, step, and this is the second part of this, this challenge for this week, is to find ways to connect with people. And I'm not talking about... I, I'm so glad that the survey... We had a little survey we did back um, two or three months ago, a quick survey in church, if you were here. And I was so glad to know that 70% of you... In that survey, one of the questions was, how have you invited people to Great Oaks in the last 12 months? And, and you know, one person, five, three people, five people, whatever. And 70% of you have invited at least one person to church here at Great Oaks in the last 12 months. That's good. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about simply connecting with people to begin the process of building a relationship with them. Now, we're going to talk about how to do that over the next few weeks, but it first has to be, yeah, I'm going to do that. Not because they become your project, by the way, okay? So if you make this, make this, uh, this, this thing and you have it, you put, decide to pray about it, and you put it on your refrigerator, make sure you take it down before your, these neighbors show up, okay? Because there'll be a lot of questions that you don't want to answer. Think about that. But simply begin the process of praying for and asking yourself, how can I connect? And let me tell you some simple, we're going to talk about next week about the next step is serve. But, you know, connecting is like, let's use an analogy that, uh, as we finish up here, let's use this analogy that, that, that this step is about a home and, and the, the place we'll talk about is your backyard. What happens in the backyard? Barbecues, you know, or, you know, just a place to hang out. It's where you got to hang out with people, get to know people. I mean, most of you know how to do that, right? Just to connect with people. Not for the purpose at this point, not at this point, because it's a, it's a process, to start sharing Christ. This is simply a way of connecting with people you're not connected with. So how can you, you know, 
Invite people over for soup. I mean, this is, this is all kind of opportunities right now. We have baseball playoffs, you know, and we have, we have NFL football games. We have college. We have all those different things. You know, we have all these different things to celebrate. And we have in common with people who are not necessarily followers of Christ. And you're going like, well, they might come over and, you know, I might invite them for a cook and they might bring their beer. So, get over it. At this point, you're not trying to judge them. What you're trying to do is help them to have a relationship with you, with you so that eventually they'll ask you, why are you doing this? And you can share Christ. You don't have to join in everything. I, have, I go to naughty people parties occasionally. I don't drink. I don't chew. And I don't go to the girls who do. But I still connect. So I would challenge you. If you're serious about living a life on mission for God, which is what we're all supposed to do, this is not like just for pastors or really holy people. The first thing we have to do is we've got to reconnect with people in the world who don't know Jesus Christ and build a relationship with Him. Next week we'll talk about how we can begin as we're around those people, listen so we can serve them. That'll be step two. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this, this time together that we can look at your word. But not only understand it because this is crystal clear, God. This is not even one of those gray areas. This is like black and white. I mean, you, you say this over and over and over again. And you give, and Jesus, you, you give us the example over and over and over again in Scripture that, that, that one of the things you have to do to carry out the mission is to connect with people who are far from us. And God, when we simply huddle in our churches and not, don't go out in the world and connect with people, then what we do is we, there's no way we can carry out the mission because we have no relationships with people who don't know you. The reality is, God, is, is that we're losing ground in America only because we've become churches that huddle together instead of go out into the world. We pray that you would enable us, God, as believers to get over, get, go past our comfort zone a little bit and to begin to build relationships with people who may not be like us, God, but who need you just like we do. So guide us now, God, as we go our separate ways today, that this will be a launching point for beginning the process of connecting with people in our communities, in our Jerusalem, where we are. We ask these things in Jesus Christ.